Well, amen. Good morning. It is good to see you all. Thankful that we could be here. Thankful that we could be together. Um, if you have not been with us, I want to encourage you to join us in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we have been walking through 1 Corinthians uh, for some time now, and we still have a little more walking to do. Uh, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, this week, next week, um, and then we're going to pause from 1 Corinthians to get into the Advent season uh, for about four weeks uh, in preparation of Christ coming again, and then we will start the new year right back in 1 Corinthians. And so a lot to go, a lot to unpack. Uh, some of you have been reading ahead, and you are eager to see how we handle some verses and some passages that are coming up. And so uh, for those of you who have messaged me and said good luck, um, I would appreciate your prayers as well. So uh, with that, we're still in 1 Corinthians, wrapping up chapter 10 today. And as you're turning there, I just got to tell you, um, this November is always a fascinating time to me, not only because of Thanksgiving, but because of uh, how many different Baptist conventions uh, get together in November. I mean, it's multiple states doing state conventions. On top of that, there's uh, multiple things happening throughout the nation in terms of Southern Baptist life. Um, and even uh, an award show for uh, Christian music happens in November as well. And I got to tell you, uh, I pay attention to these things um, because I'm fascinated by them. Uh, I'm fascinated uh, by the conversations that come off of them. I'm fascinated by uh, what is said on social media. I really shouldn't be fascinated by that at this point, but I am, uh, because it's amazing to me how a meeting can go from a meeting in person to all of a sudden a meeting over Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now. Um, the, the, the app formerly known as Twitter, let's just borrow Prince's phrase for a moment. Um, it's just amazing to see. And I'm fascinated by these things because of the controversies that come out of them. I'm fascinated by the debates uh, that then uh, come off these things that now surround Christian culture and really what these debates and controversies now mean for the local church. Now, recently, um, it was interesting to me, and I was fascinated by the fact that Christian musicians and Christian artists gathered for a particular award show, an award show where they were rewarding Christian musicians for the work that they had done and for the popularity uh, that their music had garnered over this past year. And as is common with the show, they had different categories. Uh, a particular group, individual, won an award for that category. And as common, the first thing they do is walk up to the microphone and they say, all glory to God for what he has allowed me to do, or all glory to God for this award that I have now won. And I started hearing that and thinking to myself, man, that sounds eerily similar to the phrases that we now hear on our secular award shows as well. Now, what's interesting to me about this particular show and about, and about the particular conventions uh, that take place around us is, is, is we now have conventions and we now have a show for a group of people that write music seeking to glorify God or in convention life, writing motions, seeking to glorify God and yet they themselves are the ones being awarded, rewarded, and ultimately glorified. Now again, I'm not trying to badmouth our convention. I'm not trying to badmouth state conventions around us. I'm not even trying to badmouth contemporary Christian music, okay? But think about this for a moment. Why are Christian artists and Christian leaders accepting an award when they claim that they do what they do for the glory of God? I mean, really, it should be about God being glorified, right? I mean, when you look at Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we read these words. It says, And the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And listen to this. It says, And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed 
and were created. Now, let me just unpack what I'm thinking here for a moment. Just once, I wonder what it would look like if this verse became the response of our Christian leaders, if this verse became the response of our Christian artists, and the award that they had just received was simply left on the platform because it truly belongs to God. I mean, in many of our conventions today, we still reward the top 10 churches in terms of fastest growth. And yet it's not the pastor who calls the growth. It's not even the churches that cause the growth. It is the power of God that, has, that is at work that calls this growth. Now again, this is just a thought. So I'm not fighting against conventions. I'm not fighting against churches that are, that are faithfully growing in number. I'm not even fighting against the contemporary Christian music industry or this particular award show. But here's what's happening more and more in our conventions, more and more in Christian culture. And I think we need to pay attention here. Many of the conventions and the shows that we see and watch and we are a part of are now wrapped in some sort of controversy as more and more Christian leaders look more and more like the world and less and less like Jesus Christ and what it is that he has called them to. Now again, I'm not sharing this because I think we should stop listening to music. I'm not sharing this because I'm saying as a church we should no longer be involved in the life of our convention, nor do I believe that we just simply scoff at these particular leaders and these particular artists and the hard work that they've now put in to receiving the award they have now been given. However, it did lead me to ask this question. When it comes to my own life, because the reality is I can only change myself. When it comes to my own life, my own words, why do I do what I do? Do I seek my own glory or am I pursuing hard after the glory of God? Well, as we look at our text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to see Paul address this very same issue with the Corinthian Christians. You see, Paul is again writing to the Corinthian Christians, talking about food and drink and what is, prop up, uh, what is proper to eat and what is not. And yet, in the midst of talking about food and drink, again, he's going to begin to transition into a, a much more prominent point, a bigger point for us today. And that is this, that we as Christians should be living for the glory of God. So let's just go ahead and jump into our text this morning and see how Paul now calls the Corinthian Christians in the church today to live for the glory of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 23. And once you have found your place in the Word, and you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 23. He writes... All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, just to kind of set the picture for us today, this whole conversation on food, especially food that has been sacrificed to idols, now comes to an end with our text this morning. Now, in this particular passage, Paul's now going to talk about what to do with food that is sold in the market or food that is offered in a home when you're invited to eat and partake of a meal together, and whether or not even the Corinthian Christians should partake of that particular meal. Now, Paul's going to say to the church, if you don't know where the food came from, then eat it. No matter if you purchase it in the market, eat it. If it's offered to you in someone else's home, then eat. However, if the person who offers you the food tells you that it was set apart for idols and now you know, then it would probably be best for you to refrain. You see, Paul is now supporting the points that he has already made both on the freedoms that we now have in Christ, but also the warnings that he has given to the Corinthian Christians and how we now need to be aware of what is happening around us and thus flee idolatry, especially when that idolatry is now presented before you. And so Paul now shares with the Corinthian Christians because he wants their main motivation to be and should be to live for the glory of God in all things. Now this is what the Corinthian Christians were called to. And it's exactly what we as believers in Christ today are called to as well. But the question I have to ask you is this. Have you ever come to a point in your life, particularly like the Corinthian Christians did, where you began to wrestle with what it means to glorify God? Have you wrestled with the, the simple question of what it means to live for the glory of God? Well, let's get back into our text, and we're going to see how Paul actually answers that question for us and answers the question of what does living for the glory of God look like for the believer? And I believe that Paul gives us three answers to that question today. The first answer on what does it mean to live for the glory of God or what does it look like to live for the glory of God can be found in verses 23 through verses 30, which is this. We live for the glory of God when we seek good for our neighbors. Notice how Paul opens by taking us back to what he's already said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, except this time he's now using this particular phrase in reference to food offered to idols. Verse 23, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now again, this phrase, all things are lawful, Paul is literally quoting the Corinthian Christians and their justification for why they do what they do because of the freedoms that they now have. They have literally said to Paul, because of my faith in Christ, I have the freedom and the right to do what I want, when I want it, and how I want it, regardless of what you may think. And so Paul answers this thought by asking them the question, yes, but is it beneficial? Yes, but, but is it even helpful to live this way and to do the things that you think you are now free to do? You see, for Paul, the actions of the Corinthian Christians may be okay, but what happens when it proves to be 
unhelpful, or better yet, what happens when it proves to be destructive to our neighbors? Now again, our subject is on food sold in the open market and ultimately consumed, but for Paul, Paul was concerned that the Corinthian Christians had become so self-absorbed, that they'd become so selfish, that they sought what they desired and only what they desired. You see, for the Corinthian Christians, they were no longer concerned with whether or not their actions or their words were affecting those around them. So Paul continues in verse 24, and he writes, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now Paul says these words because he recognizes that the Corinthian Christians were more focused on their own rights. They were more focused on their own freedoms, their own preferences, and so they were no longer thinking of the impact that it would have on those around them. Now again, this particular teaching falls in line with what Paul has already taught several times or will continue to teach as he writes to other churches. In fact, you look at 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 and Paul writes, love does not insist on its own way. In Romans chapter 15 verse 2, he writes, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And again, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, Paul writes, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You see, Paul is teaching the Corinthian Christians and us today that if we are going to live for the glory of God, then we have to be willing to put our neighbors ahead of ourselves. In other words, whether Christian or not, we need to think about how our actions and how our words will ultimately point people to Jesus Christ. Which means, as believers... We have to be careful not to put our own personal preferences ahead of others. Rather, we should put them aside and begin to think of the others that are around us. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, please don't mishear me on this. I am not saying that when the world comes to our door and says, you need to do a better job of loving your neighbor by doing this, then we just jump off the ledge with them. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, our world has tried to do that recently. And they have taken the love your neighbor passage way out of context. However, what Paul does mean is this. He says, listen, I'm not asking you to compromise your faith. However, what it does mean for us today is that we willingly speak and live capital T truth. And we do it in a way that points others to the hope and the grace that can be found in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So, yes, It is possible to be biblical, which is what we are called to do as believers. But at the same time, it is possible to be biblical and to still live with grace and compassion and practice that grace and compassion towards one another. Now, as we look in the text, Paul continues by giving us two examples of how to now live for God's glory and to seek the good for your neighbors. Look again at verse 25 and 26. Paul says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, our first example that Paul gives us is food that is now being sold in the market. Now, to give some context of what Paul's talking about, we have to understand what was happening in Corinth. You see, there was food that was being offered to pagan deities. There was food that was being offered to these idols, and this food would be burnt Some of it would then be given to the the family, making the sacrifice in order for them to eat. And then the leftovers would just be given away and sold in open market. And so here's what Paul says to the Corinthian Christians. When you go to the open market, I'm now all of a sudden not calling you to do an in-depth 
unsolved mystery investigation to determine whether or not the food that you are buying and consuming was offered to idol worship. There is freedom to be practiced there. Again, this is not some sort of mystery for you to solve. It's not some sort of puzzle for us to figure out. Rather, what Paul does teach is this, that if it's not clearly marked, then don't worry about it. In fact, Paul says, eat without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, Paul says, man, don't worry about where it came from. If you don't know, you don't know. At that point, it's just food. It's nothing more. So enjoy it. So brothers and sisters in Christ, in this season of Thanksgiving, hear that freedom this week and just enjoy food in moderation. That's more for me than it is for you. Now, I love what David Garland says about this point. He says, outside of its idolatrous context, idol food is simply that. It's food, and it still belongs to the one true living God. Now, coming back to our text, we get into verse 26, and we see Paul is now quoting Psalm 24, verse 1, and he uses this passage to explain why eating food purchased in the marketplace is now justified. Paul says, listen, because like everything else, That food was created by God. Thus, the food belongs to God. Therefore, in our eating, it should be God who is being glorified. So Paul is teaching the Corinthian Christians, listen, receive the food. Eat with thankfulness. And do not worry about what it is that you don't know. Because when you begin to worry about it, ultimately you will cause your neighbor to begin to worry in the midst of what you don't know. And so Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, give thanks to the Lord for what he has provided. So notice how Paul then points to Christian freedom here, but there's going to be one more example that Paul will now give that is consistent with what he has taught so far and how we can continue to seek good for our neighbors in terms of the food that we eat. Look with me at verse 27. Paul writes, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you were disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Now, again, Paul here gives a scenario of what happens when the believer is invited into the home of their neighbor or when the believer is invited into the home of a non-believer. Now, to give some context again, Clearly, it was common in Corinth for Christians and non-Christians to still get along and respect one another to invite each other over to dinner. Imagine that. What a novel concept that we as a Western society have forgotten. Now, coming back to our context here, Paul doesn't say that that Christians should go or should not go. Rather, he, he leaves that up to them to decide. Remember, there's that word if there. And so he trusts their wisdom in terms of whether or not they should attend this particular gathering. But notice Paul's point was back on the food here. He says, listen, don't worry about the food they're going to serve you. If they don't tell you where it came from, then chances are they probably don't know. So whether it was sacrifice for idol worship or not, it doesn't matter. Just enjoy. Why? Because you have the opportunity to now be in your neighbor's home. And you have the opportunity to share the gospel with your neighbor. So Paul says, listen, eat in peace knowing that God has provided the good gift of food. Can I just ask you something? When was the last time we sat down at a meal and just ate in peace? 
Some of you are saying, Pastor, I have children. Amen. There is no... <laughs> that's, that's an elder, by the way, that just heartily amen that. Let me clarify. So it's been a while, has it? Amen. I hear you. We need to fix this. Maybe we'll send all of our children to someone's house. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. No. <laughs> we're not t- it's not a church vote, guys. I'm coming back. Here we go. Let's get back into the text here. Oh, no. <laughs> this, is, this is out of control. Oh, Allison says you take them all. Okay, well, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Why do I do this? I don't even know. Anyway, all right. Well, listen, you guys enjoy Thanksgiving tonight. Apparently, I'm watching all your kids at my house. Coming back to the text, let's pick this back up. Uh, This is why I don't look up for my notes, because you people. Anyway, coming back to the text, here's what happened. Paul gives us the example of what happens when they tell you that there is food that came from an idol. And it was sacrificed to an idol. He says it in verse 28. He says, listen, if I tell you the food was offered to idols, Paul says this, for the sake of your neighbor, for the sake of your witness, for the sake of the gospel, don't partake. Why? Because here is yet an opportunity to, to not offend them, but to gracefully share why you cannot partake in faith. Again, Paul comes back to the fact, look, if, if what you're about to partake in is going to, to remove you from Christ, if it's going to cause your witness to be questioned, then he says, listen, in good conscience, don't partake in what it is that you're about to do. Now again, Paul's going to reaffirm the Corinthian Christians with uh, with another point yet here, and, and he's going to do that through some rhetorical questions that he asked beginning in verse 29. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but rather his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Now again, Paul is acknowledging the Christian freedom that we now have. But some have taken this particular passage and argued that these questions that Paul is now asking shows that Paul is literally contradicting himself from what he just said in verse 28. However, context is key. And what Paul really is doing is he's using these questions to really wrap up what he's been sharing about going all the way back to verse 25. Paul tells them, listen, you are doing what you do, not for your sake, but for the sake of your neighbors. You are doing what you do for the sake of seeking the good for your neighbors so that God is glorified in what it is that you're doing. Again, Paul's focus is on the neighbors. And through these questions, he reminds the Corinthian Christians that you were able to eat when you don't know and you were enjoying this gift as an opportunity to seek the good of your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. Yet Paul warns and cautions. However, at the same time, if your neighbor tells you the food was sacrificed to an idol, then do not eat it. But for the sake of your neighbor, share with them why. You see, here's the reality for us as Christians today. Too often times, we tell people what they can and cannot do. But we never explain to them the why. Too often, we walk away from people. We cut off relationships. We cut off friendships for a variety of reasons and we never explain to them why and so brothers and sisters in christ for the sake of the gospel paul teaches us listen you should not be worried about criticism from others based upon their judgments especially when their judgments are not based upon the word people are always going to have opinions but what matters is this what matters is what is taught 
in the word of God. So if the intent is pure and the plan is to share the gospel, then don't be afraid to meet people where they are, especially when you're meeting them in a place that others would shun. However, Paul says this at the same time. He teaches the church that for the good of our neighbors, it's okay to be convictional and yet at the same time practice grace. You see, here's what happens. We too often get this wrong in in Western churches. And and let me explain what I'm talking about here. Too much conviction without grace becomes harsh polity. And yet at the same time, too much grace with no biblical conviction, whatever, becomes loose theology. There has to be a balance. And so you see, for the church, we are called to see the gospel opportunities. We are called to see the gifts that God has offered and now continue to grow in holiness and still seek the good of our neighbor. So I ask, how does our life reflect our call to holiness? How do our actions and our words not only reveal our convictions, but at the same time show the grace that we are now called to practice towards our neighbors? Maybe a more practical question would be this. Do we seek the good of our neighbors for the glory of God? And oh, by the way, when we talk about neighbors, we're not just talking about the non-Christians. We're talking about the believers as well. How, as a church family, are we seeking the good of one another? Paul moves on from there, and he gets into a second point, and I'm going to go a lot quicker through the second point and the third point, uh, but we'll get through this together. Verse 31 and 32, Paul says this, in order to live for the glory of God, you need to do all things for God's glory. Now, that sounds about like the same thing, right? You may be thinking, well, now wait a minute, isn't that the same thing as living for the glory of God? Well, yes and no. And what I mean by that is, yes, you should be living for the glory of God, but here's the reality. There are many times where we want to live for the glory of God, but if we were truly honest with ourselves, we would acknowledge and recognize that we're not even close to doing all things for the glory of God. I mean, listen to Paul's point in the text in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I love this passage. This is one that's often quoted in our home, especially around uh, a meal. Uh, The kids have it memorized, and it's always encouraging to hear them memorize Scripture. And so let me encourage you with that as a family, that if you're seeking to encourage your children to memorize the Word, that is a great place to start. So looking at this text, we have one of our most popular and often quoted texts in the Bible. And so Paul here reminds the Corinthian Christians of why we do what we do. We do it all for the glory of God. Now, again, eating and drinking is really what Paul is talking about, especially when it comes to food offered to idols. However, Paul teaches that the same principle can be applied to food in general, and he takes it one step further and says to us, not just in food or in drink, but in all things. You see, for Paul, he wanted the believers to not just think of what would benefit themselves in all situations, but rather consider what would bring honor and praise to God in all situations. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, when he says that whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's hear what Paul is teaching here and make sure that all that we do, we do for the glory of God. That everything that we do, we don't just simply do for ourselves, but rather we do for the sake of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. Now, I wanted to distinguish those points because here's the reality. As a, again, as a Western church, we get the Savior part right because we understand we're all wretched sinners. We understand that we all need grace. We're all thankful for the grace. Where the rub comes in is when all of a sudden we have to make Jesus Lord. Meaning that now He's the one in charge. We don't want anybody to be in charge of our lives. And yet as believers in Christ, we are saying that not only do I believe that Jesus is my Savior, but now I'm submitting to His authority. Which means I'm submitting to what He has taught us in the Word. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to be willing to acknowledge Him as Savior, but then submit to Him as Lord. Mm -hmm. Going on from the text, Paul continues in verse 32, and he says, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now notice how Paul wants the church to understand that living for the glory of God will ultimately be seen in how we conduct our lives. Now again, the goal is to promote faith in Christ, whether to Jews or to the Greeks. Paul says, and all that we do for the sake of the gospel, um, including how we treat one another, we should do all for the glory of God. So for Paul, Paul teaches the Corinthian Christians and us today that our conduct matters. It matters how we live. It matters how we speak. It matters how we worship. Our active participation in worship matters. And Paul says that we should conduct ourselves well so that we do not give offense to one another. Now, I love what Dr. Thomas Schreiner says about this point. Dr. Schreiner says it this way. God is glorified when the stability and continuance of faith of those belonging to the church remains a concern for all believers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we want to do all things for the glory of God, then for the sake of the gospel, we have to be willing to care for one another. And I'm not just talking about caring for them in terms of meeting physical needs, but I'm talking about challenging one another spiritually as well. You see, recently we've been talking a lot on Sunday nights about practicing hospitality and what it means to be a priesthood of believers. And I think this is the point that Paul's trying to make here. You see, even in the context of our own church, whether you serve on ministry teams or whether you're a part of committees, we have to be asking one another, am I saying what I am saying because I want my personal preferences met? Or am I saying what I'm saying because I, because I want God to be glorified in this place? And I want to think about how we can faithfully serve one another first. You see, when it comes to even being a church, we have to be willing to think about those around us. We can't just think about how our own personal needs are being met. No, we have to think about how we are now called to faithfully serve the Lord in this place. And it's not even just for serving the church. It's also for serving the community as well. So we have to ask ourselves, do we care for the church so that God is glorified in the church? Well, if so, then how is that seen? Because that's what it means to say that we do all things for the glory of God. Am I serving for the glory of God? Let me just ask this question to my, my teachers in the room when you came in. 
and taught this morning? Did you, did you prepare as if you were preparing for the glory of God? That changes things, doesn't it? I mean, let's ask this question. We just had some dialogue. Let's dialogue again. That was kind of fun. How would you guys feel if I walked up here and I wasn't prepared to preach? It's kind of convicting, isn't it? You wouldn't be too happy about that. I don't know, some of you may be very happy about that. You're like, hey, you'll get done quicker. No, I won't. <laughs> You're wrong. We're here for three hours. Because I still got notes in the brain and they're going to come out. Like right now. No. When we teach, are we teaching for the glory of God? When we serve in the ministries that the Lord has given to us, are we serving for the glory of God? When we go on mission trips, are we going to make a name for Southside or are we going for the glory of God? When we, when we talk to our neighbors about our church, are we talking about it because we love the color of this place, because we love, we love our music, because we love, we love our, our pastors, or are, we, or are we talking about the glory of God and what it is that God is doing in this place? You see, I want us to be a place that faithfully speaks and loves and shares and shows what it means to live for the glory of God. And so what that means for us is that we have to be willing to do all things for God's glory. But Paul is not done here. He's going to give us one more example of how we can now live for the glory of God. Verse 33, all the way into chapter 11, verse 1. He says this, if you want to live for the glory of God, then be the example. Be the example and imitate Christ. Notice how Paul comes back to his main theme from chapter 9, and he says this in verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Notice how Paul is not seeking his own selfish gain here, nor is he seeking the pleasure and the favor of everyone he serves. Paul's not looking for a church to be named after himself or for all of a sudden people to start writing worship songs about Paul. Paul doesn't care to make a name for himself, nor does he care about even keeping his reputation intact. None of those things matter to Paul. All that matters is following Jesus Christ and being the example for others to follow. You see, Paul says that he lives for the benefit of others so that others might come to faith through the conduct of his own life. For Paul, he wanted people to know and to notice that there was something different about them. He wanted them to know what that difference was. And for Paul, it was the, the saving faith that he now had by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And now his call was to serve the Lord and to make the Lord known. Now I emphasize that because too many people today want to go around and say, well, I'm worried about my reputation. And let me tell you something. If you're with another Christian who says they're concerned about their reputation, they may not be a Christian. Because we are called to glorify God. We are called to faithfully serve. And if our number one concern is our own popularity, our own status, our own reputation, our own symbol, then we're missing it. We're missing it. Our entire lives are called to be focused on God being glorified. Not to make a name for ourselves. Now, praise be to God and His grace. Some people have been able to make a name for themselves to become prominent people, and they use that platform to share the goodness and the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for that. But even in their own hearts, their plan and their purpose is to seek God's glory and not their own. So what about us? 
Are we seeking our own glory? Are we trying to build up something that's making a name for ourselves? Are we, are we, are we trying to pride ourselves into thinking that what matters is, is that my name is being worshipped today? Or in our lives, are we setting the example so that other people can see the goodness and the grace that is found in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord? Paul goes on from there in chapter 11, verse 1, and he says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you to highlight and circle that verse and write it at the top of every note, every time you come in here and take notes every Sunday morning, because I'm going to tell you from here, foreshadowing, it's going to get harder. Okay, we're about to get into some crazy stuff over the next couple of weeks. I find it interesting that we've got one more week of preaching, and then we're going to get into Advent, and what are we talking about? Head coverings. Glory be to God, Jesus Christ is coming back. It's going to be a great Sunday next week. <laughs> but notice what Paul says. Paul says, listen, Jesus Christ gave his life for the sake of others. Jesus Christ, in his own example, faithfully taught. He faithfully served. He faithfully loved. He didn't have to do any of these things. He faithfully gave of himself so much so that he died so that people could and would come to know faith in Jesus Christ. So that it would understand that the only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ became the motivation for Paul's passion and for Paul's compassion. You see, because of Jesus Christ, follow Paul's example. It was Paul who came to faith in Christ. And so Paul wanted to teach. Paul wanted to serve. Paul loved, Paul gave, and he sacrificed all things so that others would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember, he said to us, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, Paul didn't want people to see him. He wanted them to see Christ and see Christ in him. Paul wanted to take a, a back seat so that when people saw him, it could only the things that he was doing could only be explained by Jesus Christ. So what about us? When people look at us, what do they see? Do they see faithful servants filled with passion, filled with compassion, filled with zeal for the Lord and a compassion to serve and to worship? Or do they see someone who they can barely tell is even a believer in the first place? Brothers and sisters, let's learn from Paul for a moment. Let's follow his example and imitate Christ, who for Paul and for us today is truly the ultimate example for us to follow. Follow Christ so that others can see Christ in you and they desire to follow what it is that you are following. Or better yet, who it is you are now following. You see, Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to understand that our rights and freedoms were not the most important factors to a Christian life. They shouldn't even be, for Paul, the focus of our Christian life. We don't get to walk around and say, hey, look, I'm a Christian. And so I want life. I want my church the right way, right now, right away, how I want it. No, Paul teaches us this. 
He says, listen, for, he says, for the believer, our focus should be to seek the good of our neighbors. Meaning this, that we serve and do what would be considerate and compassionate and beneficial towards our neighbors, putting them first before we put ourselves. Paul then teaches, listen, in our lives, all things that we should do, all things we should live and then reflect the glory of God so that others would see Christ in us and then would desire to come to know the same faith that we have. Man, you want to you talk about an example of, of that life being lived out? Like memorize Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Look at what the, look at what the New Testament church did at its inception and how God was glorified in that. And then people kept coming. They wanted to know, hey, I want to know about this. I want to be a part of this. You see, when we start living for the glory of God, people are going to notice something about us. They're going to notice that there's something different. And so here's what it's going to do. It's going to naturally open the door for us to be able to share the goodness of the gospel. And then here's what Paul finally says. Paul calls the church to now follow his example by being the example. And then ultimately he says this, imitate Christ. Meaning this, as believers in Christ, seeking to imitate him, we realize that we have all that we need in Christ. It doesn't mean that we're going to be identical to Jesus Christ. That's never going to happen. However, we are called as Christians, Lord Christ, we are called to be like him. We have salvation. We have hope. We have forgiveness. And so Paul says, practice those same things that you have. Pursue Christ. Worship him. And then serve one another so that others would come to faith or be encouraged to grow in faith. Now again, John Calvin preached on this and wrote an incredible commentary about it. And here's what he says about this particular text. So if you miss everything that I just said, please hear this. John Calvin says, There is no part of our life and no action so minute that it ought not to be directed to the glory of God. And that we must take care that even in eating and drinking, we may aim at the advancement of God's glory. Man, does that describe us today? Do we as Christians seek to aim at the advancement of God's glory? Because that's what we've been called to do. And so my hope is this in our in our worship, in our service, in our giving, in our serving, and even in our passion, that our hope and our goal would be to point to the desire that we now have to live for the glory of God. And that as God's people called out by Him, set apart for His glory and our good, that we would faithfully point others to the hope that can now be found in Jesus Christ and the joy that we have in living to glorify Him. To God be the glory for what he's done in our lives. To God be the glory for what he has given us. To God be the glory for every breath that we take. And may our heart's desire be to glorify him in all things. Let's pray together.